How many of you have ever heard of the term expressive individualism? Anyone here tonight? A couple hands, maybe. It's not a familiar term, um, so don't be, don't be humbled by that. Uh, how about this? Have you ever heard any of these phrases used by people today? I'm just living my truth. Or how about this one? I'm being true to myself. Or I'm being authentic. Or you be you. And finally, be you, do you, for you. They sound kind of funny to us, right, when you think about it. But you, probably, you may have heard those phrases, although you've never heard of the term expressive individualism. All of those phrases are the outcome of that worldview called expressive individualism. Have you ever wondered why it is that a man would believe that he is a woman and therefore try to live and act like one? Or have you ever wondered why people would have um, tattoos on their faces, oddly colored hair, or multiple strange body piercings? The answer for most of that, most of those people is found in expressive individualism. Now, though it sounds like a big philosophical term that has really no practical relevance to anyone here tonight, it really describes how the majority of Americans think today. And some people call it the most popular worldview today. Others, others call it the next world religion. So tonight, especially if you're a parent, it's really good for you to understand this system of thinking so that you can help your children um, be able to navigate the lies that our society is trying to teach them. And really, for every one of us, understanding this better will help us understand and know how to better uh, be, a, be a witness to those that believe this worldview and hold on to it. So what exactly is expressive individualism? Well, simply, in the most succinct way I could state it, it is extreme selfishness on steroids. Or to say it another way, it's expressing fully what makes you, you. Your feelings, your desires, your instincts, your intuitions, and all that makes you, you, and just expressing that fully throughout the way you talk and act and look and dress and everything else. It's a system of beliefs that has infiltrated much of our society's thinking. And obviously tonight, in the short time that we have, we'll only be able to give you a simple introduction in, into this topic. And there's obviously much more that could be said, but our goal tonight is to introduce to you this worldview and how we should think biblically about the lies that it has woven into our culture. So we're going to begin tonight by watching uh, this brief video by Carl Truman, who does a really good job of introducing this uh, worldview for us. All right, hopefully that helped a little bit as we try to paint a clear picture of what expressive individualism is. We're going to spend the next few minutes going through um, six tenets of expressive individualism. What, what are the core, what people would call the core beliefs of this worldview? And now some would say there's six, some would say there's 26. So it depends on who you read and who you listen to. 
Um, but we're going to go by the six tenets that author Brian Rosner uh, summarized for us. Uh, he summarizes expressive, individuals in expressive individualism in these six tenets. The first one is, the best way to find yourself is to look inward. So again, we've said, <clears throat> said some of this before, but at the core of every person are feelings, instincts, desires, intuitions, all those things that make up that inner self that Carl Truman talked about, that in order to be happy, healthy, confident, they say we need to be able to express all of that. So those feelings, what, what makes us happy, those desires, could be sexual or otherwise, um, those things are right and they should be pursued and applauded. And then, of course, instincts and intuitions are those, those undefined notions and thoughts that are within us that often lead and guide, um, guide our actions and our thoughts. Consider this sentence. It's already been referred to, but the sentence, if someone were to say, I am a woman trapped in a man's body. How would that sentence have been received 30 or even 20 years ago? for those of us that were around then. 30 or 20, even 20 years ago, the question would have been, how can anyone say he is a woman trapped in a man's body, right? But because the sexual revolution has triumphed, today what is believed is rather, how can anyone even question whether anyone can say he is a, a woman trapped in a man's body? Expressive individualism says you should look inward to find out who you really are. And as you search your feelings and desires and instincts and intuitions, you'll then discover who you really are. And that, therefore how you should live and what you should pursue in order to be truly satisfied and happy. So that's the first tenet. The second tenet is the highest goal in life is happiness. So expressive individualism says that your happiness, your fulfillment, your contentment requires you to not restrain, but rather follow any of those feelings, desires, instincts, and intuitions that you might find within yourself. This is what, what Rosner calls the prayer of the authentic self. And just throughout the message, you're going to hear all this language that you're going to just by the end, I know you're going to be sick, but um, I apologize for that ahead of time. But this is what he calls the prayer of the authentic self. It's modeled after the Lord's Prayer. And note the horrific, self-centered difference. So this is what he said the prayer would be. My essence within, help me to find my authentic self. My kingdom come, my will be done from birth to seventh heaven. Give me today my daily spread. Forgive not my enemies as I suppress those who sin against me. Lead me not into self-doubt, but deliver me from all external authorities. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are mine now and forever. Barf, right? Expressive individualism says that, that expressing what is inside me is the most important thing I can do 
And so it naturally follows that pursuing the fulfillment of those feelings and desires is what will bring me true happiness. The third tenet is this, that all moral judgments are merely expressions of feelings or personal preference. So since, since what I feel and think inside me at my core is, most, is what's most important, there's no more right and wrong, but rather moral judgments are just me expressing how I feel or my personal preference. In a nutshell, it's summed up by the phrase that I've already said, be you, do you, for you. So with that in mind, who am I to critique what your essence is telling you is right for you? According to atheist John Paul Sartre, when it comes to humans, no one can answer the second question, which is, what are we here for? There is no creator to tell us what we exist for or what our purpose is. Because there is no one outside or beyond ourselves to define us, we cannot really answer the first question with, I'm sorry, the first question, which is, who or what are we? We exist, but it's up to us to define ourselves and the reason for our existence. Hence the name existentialism, existentialism for this strand of thinking. The definition of who or what we are is not something that we can come uh, that can come from outside any of us, but must come from inside each one of us as we embrace our own path of self-definition and self-creation. Again, you hear the same terms over and over again, self, me, my. The fourth tenet naturally follows the third tenet. And the fourth tenet is this. Forms of external authority are to be rejected. See, if, if what inside me is the highest form of truth in my life, then, then how or why should I listen to anyone outside of me to tell me what is true about me? It's no wonder then that many of the traditional authorities who would speak the truth to our young people, especially as they grow up, are now rejected. So parents, teachers, pastors, relatives, even police, all these are viewed as threats to my personal expression and individuality. So this worldview is being taught to us and our children really through every medium possible. You look at social media, what's online, what's recommended reading, uh, the music. And so take, for example, this song, which many children can sing by heart. We're going to play just a, a clip of it and see if you recognize it. Try to resist the urge to sing along. The snow glows white on the mountain tonight, not a footprint to be seen. A kingdom of isolation, and it looks like I'm the queen. The wind is howling like this swirling storm inside. Couldn't keep it in, heaven knows I
enough of that song. Note the words. I don't know if you were able to pay attention to uh, the words beyond the familiar catchy tune, but note the words that Elsa sings. The wind is howling like this swirling storm inside. Couldn't keep it in. Heaven knows I tried. Now keep this with that, with that perspective and that grid now looking at expressive individualism. Don't let them in. Don't let them see. Be the good girl you always have to be. Conceal. Don't feel. Don't let them know. Well, now they know. Let it go. Let it go. Can't hold it back anymore. Let it go. Let it go. Turn away and slam the door. I don't care what they're going to say. Let the storm rage on. The cold never bothered me anyway. I'm almost done. It's funny how some distance makes everything seem small and the fears that once controlled me can't get at me at all. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. See, whether it's Elsa in the movie Frozen or The Little Mermaid or many other of Disney's movies, They all teach this worldview in one way or another. Elsa sings a praise song to expressive individualism. Let go of all the things outside yourself that would define you, including right, wrong, and rules. Embrace who you are authentically inside. So expressive individualism worships the freedom to express our uniqueness against all constraints, all normal conventions that would come from from parents, from tradition, or, or any authority, including religion. Because rules and social conventions encourage conformity. They are viewed as a threat to personal expression and individuality. See, they view the danger, the greatest danger, is that we will be absorbed into the herd. Thus, liberation and fulfillment are central themes in expressive individualism and often find articulation in statements like, I need to be free to be me. So again, the fifth tenet follows logically, and is no surprise, that the world will improve dramatically as the scope of individual freedom grows. Remember, this worldview begins with the thought that I am at the center of the universe. Because the expression of everyone's inner self is most critical to a person's happiness as everyone feels free to express themselves, the world will be a much better place. So expressive individualism believes that one of the worst things in the world is to not be able to live out your true self. 
Therefore, as the freedom to express and live who you truly are increases around the world, of course, it'll be better for everyone. And the sixth and final tenet that we're going to look at tonight is that beyond being celebrated, if you don't agree and celebrate a person's self-expression, you are criticizing not just their choices and actions, but their very essence. Because they're just, remember, they're just expressing what's inside of them. They're expressing who they truly are. And so if you, if you don't agree and celebrate their self-expression, now you're critiquing who they are at their very core. After all, they're just expressing who they are on the inside. And so as a result, any critique of their life is considered by some a hate crime. And now to protect these victims, we must have laws to prevent them from being victimized. I don't know if you've seen it show up in the workplace. I've talked with various people uh, in our church who uh, have been faced with this scenario where someone wants to identify a certain way. Uh, they want to be called by certain personal pronouns. And if you don't give in to that and you don't worship and honor their, request, their demand to be exp- express themselves that way, well, wow, you're very offensive. You're, 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 uh, that's a hate crime. You're yeah, making them a victim. So again, if you fail to celebrate or, or worse yet, not even accept who they are expressing themselves, you're striking them at their very core, and that can't be tolerated or allowed in this worldview. So those are the six basic tenets of expressive individualism. Gives you really a a brief snapshot of, again, there's much more. There's um, all kinds of books and things online that you can look at to find out more about it. Um, But I want to take some time in our service tonight to interview uh, Pastor Lardy, if you want to come on up here. Uh, Because of his counseling background, uh, he really has a a depth of understanding of this worldview Um, but he also has a lot of first-hand experience in dealing with our children and is familiar with the the struggles that they are facing uh, because of that. All right, so I uh, prepared a few questions uh, for Pastor Lardy. Uh, First of all, where do you see expressive individualism showing up in the lives of young people today? Uh, just to go back to what Pastor Steve said, expressive individualism, how I say it to the teens is you be you, be true to yourself. Um, uh, one movie my wife really loves, Mulan, has a line in the song, be true to your heart, be true to your heart. It's this mindset there. So I see it showing up a lot in media. Uh, Disney is probably one of the main proponents, I would say, and it's just subliminal because some of the things are funny and joyful, but you don't realize how they're wiring you to be consumed with yourself. Another thing is just take one example of music. Music used to be a communal thing. Community used to do that. If we go back decades and decades ago, okay, everyone would sit in their living room and maybe a vinyl record player, and they would listen and consume music together. Um, Then it goes to people have boom boxes walking around, so it's a little bit slowing down. And then you get a Walkman CD that's on your side, 
And then you get an iPod that's on your shoulder. But now, when you see people, everyone has AirPods in their ears. It's individualistic. Everything has just turned into kind of revolving around ourselves. And probably, honestly, the main proponent would have to be this. This technology, we're going to look back on it and say this has completely transformed our society and culture. All right. <clears throat> so seeing what you're seeing happen in our culture and our society and knowing what is being taught to our children in, in schools today, what, uh, what concerns would you have for that, uh, this generation? Yeah, <clears throat> I'm concerned because especially with our teens, they are taught to view authority as a hindrance to their individuality that parents, leaders, people are repressing them of what they're able to do. Um, and everyone feels forced to discover themselves, to identify themselves. Now you have to stand out. And in order to stand out, you have to do some ridiculous things to stand out. I mean, even some of my teens are telling me on TikTok, one of the challenges at their school was, let's see what things we can steal from the bathroom. So people were stealing toilet seats, People were stealing the paper towel dispensers. People were stealing or trying to take apart bathroom doors because you got to keep trending. You got to one up someone because in order to be accepted, you have to express yourself. And again, the expressive part of individualism is can't just be true to yourself. Other people have to hear it. It's why years ago you heard when people were having their abortions, it wasn't just, okay, I quietly had it. It's now you have to shout your abortion. This mentality, and it invades in everything where our teens think that, hey, I have to get views. Whatever's going to get a view, I'll have to do it because I get validated by what people think about me. So then they're not really living for God at all. They're living for others and themselves. And finding that validation, they're never going to find happiness. Never going to find happiness. Hmm. So with that in mind, what are some practical steps that parents can take uh, to keep their children from believing these lies? I think as Pastor Steve is talking with you all, one of the things is to be able to now when you have this teaching in your life, to be able to discern when you're watching things on TV when you're viewing things that I had this thing we learned in a school that life commercials, media, media, it's either a map pointing you in a direction that you should go or it's a mirror reflecting what's going on in society. So when I'm talking to my kids, let me use, for example, Tom Brady, who's 45 years old, who should have retired, but now his life train wreck, okay, divorce, uh, his football team is still doing trash now, but he had to be true to himself. He had to play because he just needed it. Mind you, he was married to a supermodel. He had all the money in the world. He would have got paid more money not to play football, but you have to point these things out. So anytime I see it in youth group especially, I'll point out, hey, did you see this in society? Did you see this athlete? Did you see this commercial? What are they trying to say? Because they're always trying to sell you not just an item, but they're trying to sell you a mindset behind it, a lifestyle behind it. There's always a deeper meaning to what you're viewing on your phone through the media. There's always something deeper or subliminal that's there. So that's 
One uh, thing I would do also, just helping our teens recognize their identity is found in Jesus Christ alone. Um, Ephesians chapter 1 and 2, specifically talking about who we are in Christ. That's the most important thing. You have that as the filter. My identity, who I am in Christ. I am loved. I'm secured. I'm protected. I have been surrendered. I'm adopted by the King of Kings. That means more than anything. All right, you're starting to steal my message. <laughs> All right, so for those parents who, start, um, who see their children starting to not just believe, but really promote this kind of worldview, world what should parents be doing? Some of the times I see that the parents are bringing them to church, good. Um, they are putting them in Christian education, good. Um, but it's having those conversations with them. And simple thing is, you're reading your Bible in the morning. They get to see it. You're asking them questions about what you're doing. It's in life. You see life as lessons that you can uh, train them in. You don't just see it as Bible time is Sundays, Wednesdays, but all of life where we're implementing principles that are there. Also, um, if there are teens are doing it, one of the things... Honestly, for me, and I know Amanda and I have talked about it, I really don't see a need for teenagers to have all that access to technology, specifically a smartphone with social media and things. I think you may give it to them, but you're moderating it for them. I, I think, how do I say it without being too harsh? I think it's really foolish, honestly. Um, And I'm going to say this, and forgive me if some of you get offended by this. I really do think if you give your kid a cell phone that's unfiltered, they can do whatever you're doing, you've given them a loaded gun with their finger on the trigger. Again, I know that's harsh and things, but that is how much damage and destruction I can tell you as we are in the youth ministry, that just the ability and access what they're getting. Again, Yes, their hearts need to be changing things, but you can prevent some of that. Now, do they need to, when they get older, learn to how to use it? Yeah, but you'll teach them little by little. But this, honestly, throw it in the trash. It's not worth it. For my kid's heart and my life, ah, forget it. I can throw this, flush it in the trash. It's not worth it for their godliness and things. So that's just, again, that's your youth pastor speaking to you. <laughs> Uh, believe it or not, we've seen um, first and second graders come to, to school with uh, more expensive iPhones than the pastors have. Um, but so it's really common today. Um, what have you done or have you done certain things or taught certain truths because of the prevalence of this worldview? Yeah, we've actually spoken on this topic a couple times in youth ministry. Um, we'll speak every year in youth ministry. I always have a thing we go through. We're always talking about identity in Christ, but we just come at it from different angles. Uh, so um, that is one way we do it. And our small groups, specifically, uh, when pastor preaches a sermon and we'll go through the sermon, I'll have questions that try to hit on this principle of expressive individualism. Another way, I know this may seem funny to you, but... I do like to tease on them and things because I like to bring them down and re- realize that we're not, we too often, it's so funny with our teens, they think they're so, and I was like this too, we think so highly of ourselves that if we're not able to make fun of ourselves, we think too highly 
of ourselves. It's, it's just a problem. So some of that teasing back and forth, it's just reminding them like, oh, I'm not the center of the world. Oh, everything doesn't revolve around me. So those are some things that we try to do in youth ministry. All right, last question. Are there any resources that you would recommend for those parents or people in the church that would want to understand this worldview better? Yes, one book, a uh, couple books. One book by Trevor Wax is called Rethink Yourself. Um, great book. He goes through this principle um, expressive individualism, and he just goes through different facets, how it shows up in media, in sports, how it shows up in different places. Another great book is by an author named Tony Renke. It's called 12 Ways Your Phone Is Changing You. We did a series of that in youth ministry, and it was written by a guy who's a millennial. When I was going through it with the teens, actually, I would say it's 12 ways for them that their phone is conforming them. Because I'm realizing even differences from teens I had five, ten years ago to, uh, sorry, five years ago to now, how much the technology has even conformed them differently. So those are two good options. I have a couple other books, but I can't think of them off the top of my head. All right. Thank you very much, Pastor Lardy. Our resident expert in all things youth. All right, we don't want to leave um, tonight without um, giving you a biblical perspective on uh, how we can combat some of these lies uh, and worldviews. Um, so I want to give you a biblical, pers- biblical perspective um, com- compared to some of these uh, tenets that this worldview teaches and holds. And if you're thinking tonight that we don't really need to be too concerned about this worldview in the church, because um, after all, um, you know, we're, we're in the church and that's, that's out in society, that's out in the world, right? Well, you don't have to go too far to see this, this, the, uh, this influence in the church. It has inf- infiltrated the church in statements like the following that, that we've heard here. Uh, let me see if you've heard any of these. My faith is between God and me. Or how about this? My religion... Don't critique it. My religion's a personal thing. Or how about this? I believe in God, but I don't need to go to church. I believe in God. I don't need to be around other people that believe in God because it's personal. It's just, it's just me and, and God. It's just the two of us. So we've seen that infiltrate the church in those ways. Have you ever had a conversation with someone about God and in the Bible, and their response was something along the lines of, well, I like this about God, and, um, but not that about God. I, or similarly, I, I like this part of the Bible, but uh, Old Testament, I don't like the Old Testament part of the Bible. Because we even had someone who visited our church who told us what parts of the Bible they liked, what parts they didn't. And um, so they went on to take certain things from the Bible and other things from other religions, and this person said they made their own religion. And they offered to give us a copy of it if we wanted um, to be a follower as well. And that, that is expressive individualism. Uh, don't listen to outside authorities like parents or pastors or religion, because after all, you are the center of the universe. You decide what is true for you. 
And anyone who tells you anything different should be restrained or even getting pushed to where it will be prosecuted legally. So what Bible truths can we look at to help us think correctly in a society dominated by this worldview? Well, there's a lot of familiar ones that I'm going to uh, go through. We won't spend any great length or time on any of them. Um, but the first one is what Pastor Lardy already mentioned, is that our identity is found in Christ. Our identity is, is not found in who we are feel we are on the inside or trying to ex- express those feelings and intuitions and, and uh, things that might be going on inside of us. Um, Colossians 3, verses 1 through 3 uh, is, is a great passage to, to memorize, uh, to put up in your home, to go through with your children. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, and not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Again, instead of looking inside us to find our identity, we are called to look to Christ alone to understand who we are and how we are to live our lives. When we do this, then we're going to realize that we're not the center of the universe, but humbly realize that our lives are, what does the Bible say? It's but a, a vapor, right? In the timeline of history. Uh, one author uh, reinforced this point with this Calvin and Hobbes comic strip. I'm not sure if you can quite read that, but um, in, this, in this comic strip, Calvin is gazing into just, have you ever been there? You looked up in the starry sky and it's just, especially if you can get away from New Jersey where there's not lights everywhere but, and you can actually see the stars. Have you ever seen Ben out at a camp or somewhere deep, Montana or somewhere, in, or, uh, or the Kuna Islands, and you look out and there's no light and you see just millions and billions of stars? Well, this is Calvin. He looks up and sees the amazing universe and he says, he yells, I'm significant. And he sits there for a minute and then says, said the dust speck. See, that, that's funny. It's not quite uh, biblical either. But um, although our lives could be compared to a dust speck in the universe, our lives are significant to God. But very contrary to what individual expressionism teaches, that we're the center of the universe. Uh, a second truth that we could, uh, should learn and study and remember is that God has given us various authorities for our benefit. Again, a familiar passage in Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Um, all you parents probably have know this and have recited it to your children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is, for this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Instead of rejecting all external authorities in our lives, we should... We should rather listen to the authorities that God has placed in our lives for our benefit. God has given us our parents, uh, our pastors, our Sunday school teachers to help us, to guide us. God even uses secular authorities in our government to accomplish his will. So it's, it's important for us to know that God has given us various authorities in our lives for our benefit. Uh, a third, third biblical truth, our hearts are tainted by sin 
and should not be trusted. Uh, too often, you hear this, if you talk to someone, I just, I'm following what my heart, my heart, my heart's telling me this, or oh, my heart told me to do that. What Jeremiah 17.9 says, reminds us, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And we read in what Paul wrote in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, I, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And this is key. Do not be conformed to this world, which individual expressions would, would agree with, but, but rather, Bible thinking is, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is what is good and acceptable and perfect. Another uh, great verse to remember is Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for, fl- for from it flows the springs of life. And lastly, Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. We constantly need to remember and remind ourselves and our children that because of the sin in our hearts, we should question what is coming from them and be cautious to follow our hearts. Instead, we should dedicate our lives to understanding God's word better every day and look to God's word for direction in our lives. A fourth truth. Our lives should be focused on Christ and glorifying him because we are not the center of the universe. Matthew 16, verses 24 through 27 is a good reminder for us of this. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. And also Matthew six thirty one through 33. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And here's a, a key one. What do we seek first? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. We don't live to follow and fulfill our desires and our passions and what we find dwelling inside our heart, messed up as it often is, but rather we die to ourselves and our passions, and instead we live to fulfill Christ's desires and passions for our lives. And lastly tonight, again, we could, we could spend a long time going after some biblical truths that will help us confront this worldview, but lastly... We should seek the welfare of others before ourselves. 1 Corinthians 10.23 says, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, 
but the good of his neighbor. God has designed Christians to meet together personally each week in church because, quite frankly, we need each other. He has designed our lives so that we love one another, we serve one another, we encourage one another, and so on. And so it's critical for us, as we have done today, to gather together so that we can do just that. We love one another and encourage one another and continually build up one another and and seek to do that for all those one another's in our lives. We're going to finish tonight with um, a song that I think is very appropriate to this topic, um, Living Hope. If you would stand with me, we'll sing this song together and then we'll be dismissed in prayer. If, even if you've never heard of that term, expressive individualism, now you have an understanding of what that is. Although, again, society probably doesn't use that term, uh, but hopefully now you understand it and can recognize it uh, in the movies that we like to watch, uh, that uh, what your children might see and might be exposed to so that you can help them um, as they deal with that and as those false, false falsehoods are being pumped into their lives and their minds every day, whether it's your children, your grandchildren, your neighbor, your friends, you have a better understanding of that and can now um, be a better witness to them and help them uh, navigate through uh, this world. Uh, Let's pray together and we'll be dismissed. Father, we do thank you for uh, the truth of your word and uh, for you. Uh, For as a song that we just sang, you are our living hope. Uh, We are not the center of the universe. Uh, You are, and we live to honor and glorify you. And we just ask that you would continue to help us and our families and our church as we go forward and and as we uh, interact with individuals who believe this worldview and live this worldview, uh, that we'd have the love that you have for mankind uh, to them and be able to help them to see the truth that you've given us in your word that we might honor and glorify you through those relationships. We pray in Jesus' great name. Amen.